Welcome to Life Center Church. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast and our church, visit lifecenternyc.com. Bless the Lord. So good to be here today with you guys. Resurrection Sunday. Come on. This is the foundation of our faith because he lives, we live also. You know, when sometimes when the night seems, they say the night seems darkest right before the dawn. And sometimes, you know, we go through things. But unless it's, I think Chris Valton says it, unless it's good, it's not the end, right? Because he's working all things together for our good. And even when it looks dark, it's not the end. He's not finished with you. There's, he's got more. And, and I'm, I'm so excited because he redeems, he restores. You know, that's what the, the cross was all about. Jesus the Son of God, the second person of the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit could not bear to be separated from you and I. And when there was no one, no other way to restore us, Jesus, the Son of the living God, became a human being, came to the earth, lived a pure, spotless life, and then sacrificed himself for you and I, paid the price. Everything that you and I deserved, because we've all fallen short, every one of us, he took on himself. So I wanted to unpack that a little bit just to give clarity of understanding, because I really, we are in a time when there's an outpouring of the Holy Spirit, he is softening the hearts of men and women across the earth, and particularly in our city. And uh, there's a great harvest coming. You know, there's a lot of pressure in the world right now. It's both the great and the terrible. I mean, we can, you turn on the news and you'll see some of the terrible. But at the same time, there's a great outpouring that God is doing in the midst, and that's what I want to focus on this morning. Turn with me to Romans chapter 5. I'm going to be reading, uh, starting at verse 6. I want to read from the uh, New Living Translation this morning. Um, most of the time, I'm in the New King James, and uh, I actually asked if we could put them up side by side, and I was told it'd be a little difficult. <laughs> The New Living Translation, I like it because of its, it, just, it, it's, it, it kind of breaks the, the word down and, and just a, more of a common vernacular for us to understand. So sometimes it's just good to let it go deep into how you understand. Um, but when you're studying, you want to look at the different, especially like the New King James and other versions that, that are ewing very closely to the original translation. Uh, so that's just a little bit of commentary. <laughs> anyway, let's look at um, Romans 5, beginning at verse 6, talking about Christ. I really, you, we need to understand the crucifixion 
and his death, his, his whipping and scourging, his shed blood and death on the cross was, the, was a bookend of, of a life well lived. And because God himself took on flesh and humbled himself, and he, and he, he died, it says, the scripture says that God highly exalted him. See, the path to greatness is humility. We don't talk about it enough in the church, but we, if you want to go high, you have to go low. If you want to be great, you have to, you have to serve willingly. And that, that's what Jesus did. Now, I want to unpack this a little bit. You see, Romans 5, 6, it says that when we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time, and he died for you and I, sinners. Most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, uh, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who's especially good. But God showed his love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners or we were still opposed to God. We have to break down what, this, what the Bible's talking about as sin. We often think of sin as these discreet bad acts, but it's, 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 a bigger, it's much bigger than that. It, it outworks itself in these discreet bad acts, but, it's, but sin is, is much bigger than just an, a, a single act. And since we've been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son, while we were still his enemies, he didn't wait. He didn't say, all right, if you shape up a little bit, I'll do this for you. We were still at odds with him, and he paid a price for us while we were still his enemies. We, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son, Jesus. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. Friends of God. That's, you know, Abraham was called a friend of God. And he calls us his friends. He says, I no, no longer call you servants, but I call you friends in John. Okay, let's keep going. Now, when Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death so that death spread to everyone for everyone sinned. I want to pause for a moment. What was Adam's sin? What was Adam's sin? I think in order to understand Adam's sin, we have to look at when did sin first appear in heaven? That's what I'm saying. It's not just these, we think of sin as these discreet acts, like do not kill, do not steal, do not commit adultery. And then, you know, you check off the box. I didn't do any of these. I think one of the, the rich young ruler came and said, all these commandments I've kept. He said, one thing you lack, sell everything and follow me. But it says the rich young ruler had, had much possessions, and that was a little, that was a bridge too far, right? What was it? It was, it's a life laid down. Will we just follow Jesus? We're, we're, you know, we sing the songs, wherever you go, I'll go. <laughs> Whatever you say, I'll say. But will we? It's, it's this life laid down that Jesus exemplified. Let's, I want to look at what I think is the first sin. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 14, beginning of verse 12. 
Isaiah 14, beginning of verse 12. How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, you who weaken the nations. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farther sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. The Bible says that Lucifer was one of the most beautiful angels in heaven. Uh, he was perfect in his creation, the Bible said. Uh, he had musical instruments built into his very being. And, uh, and he led worship in heaven. But it says that his own beauty corrupted him, and he started thinking more highly of himself than he should have. And all of a sudden, he desired to be, I will be like the Most High. And as a result, we read in the book of Revelation, he was, he was thrown out of heaven. Now, let's turn to Genesis chapter 3. How does this impact Adam? What was Adam's sin? Turn with me to Genesis 3, beginning at verse 1. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And I just Google the definition of cunning. It says, having or showing skill in achieving one's ends by deceit or evasion. The serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman... Has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? It's not quite what God said, but he was, he's already, he's pushing, he's pushing the borders. And a woman goes to correct him, says, oh, no, no, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God said you shall not eat it. And then she added, nor shall you touch it. It's not what God said, but she probably heard the report from Adam, and this is, this is what happens when you play telephone. <laughs> so you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Verse 4, then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. Complete contradiction to what God said. God said, if you eat it, in the day that you eat it, you will die. And the serpent said, you will not die. He's the father of lies. Immediately, he's sowing doubt. <laughs> Do you really believe the word of God? Does that happen today? Do you believe that stuff? Do people try to dispute that God's word is, is what it is, that it's true? Hasn't changed. You will surely, you will not surely die. So he sows doubt with a lie. And then he says, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. And you will be like God. He's offering an alternative reality. 
He's suggesting that God is holding back something from, from man. And he tempts her with the same desire that was where? In him. He wanted to be, right? We just read it in Isaiah. I will, accept, I will, I will exalt myself above the mountains. I will... Yeah. I will sit in the mount of the congregation on the farther side. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. We just read in Isaiah. That's Lucifer. And so now he's tempting Eve, and he's offering this same understanding. First, he sows a lie to create doubt, and then he says, God's actually holding out on you. For he knows that in the day, in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, it was nice to look at, it was a tree desirable to make one wise, thinking God's holding out. So she took of the fruit and ate it. She gave it to her husband with her, standing right there. Why he was silent, I don't know. He had the greater sin because God spoke directly to him. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and then they knew they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves covering. The sin of Adam was the same sin of Satan. Satan sowed doubt about God in their lives saying, you won't die. That's just a lie. And then God knows you'll be like him. This desire to exalt ourselves is rooted in pride. Satan's sin was pride. I think the root of all sin comes from pride. Our desire to go our way. We know better. God said this, but let me tell you why I can't do that. Or I want this. I know it's not biblical, but I'm going to do it anyway. It's our desire to go our own way. It's our pride that we think we know better. We think, look, God just wants me happy. This is going to make me happy. No, this is going to kill you. <laughs> but we're deceived. It's you will not surely die, right? The devil sowing the lie. Let's go back to Romans. We have to understand this because this is, we're talking about Resurrection Sunday. Jesus lived a life completely opposite to Adam. Okay, Romans 5, let's look at verse 12. When Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. Satan tempted Eve to enter into the same sin he did. And as a result, sin spread to all mankind. Let's skip down to verse 15. Now, Adam is a symbol. He's a representation of Christ who was yet to come. 
But there's a big difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift. For the sin of one man, Adam, brought death to many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness to many through this other man, Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus became fully man. We're going to read in a minute how he left heaven and humbled himself and became fully man. And the result of God's gracious gift is very different from the result of this one man's sin. For Adam's sin led to condemnation, but God's free gift leads to our being made right with God, even though we're guilty of many individual sins. For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many, but even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness. For all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Christ Jesus. Verse 18. Yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone. But Christ's one act of righteousness brings a relationship with God's and new life with God and new life for everyone. What's Christ's one act of righteousness? We kind of think of one act as a, a discrete thing. His one act of righteousness is a life well lived, a life laid down. From his birth to his death, he lived in submission to God. We're all called to put on Christ, to live a life in what? In submission to God. God, what you say, I'll say. What you do, I'll do. Where you go, I'll go. It's, it's laying down our rights, our desire to go our way. This will make me happy. This is what I want. There's no I in it. This is, God, I'm surrendered. I'm surrendered. Whatever you want, I want to lay my life down. This was Christ's one act of righteousness. And this one act of righteousness, this life lived, brings a right relationship with God and a new life for everyone. Verse 19, because one person disobeyed God, many became sinners. But because one other person obeyed God, many will be made righteous. This is good news. Come on. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. The, hum the humility of Jesus. When there was no intercessor, no one to stand in the gap, his own arm brought forth salvation. Philippians 2, beginning of verse 5. It says, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Okay, I want everybody to repeat after me. I, I must have, must have the, same the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Christ Jesus. One more time. I, I must, have must have the same attitude, same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Okay, let's look at it. What was that attitude? Though he was God... 
He did not think equality with God was something to cling to. Whoa, let's hold on a minute. What was the first sin? What did Lucifer say? I will be like the Most High. What was the temptation that Eve heard that, oh, this will make me wise. I will be like God. God knows in the day you eat of it, you will be like God, the temptation to be like God. Yet Jesus, though he was God, did not think equality with God was something that he should cling to. How many of us, I know my rights. We hold on so tight. Not Jesus. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave. New King James Version says a bondservant. A bondservant is you sell yourself for a sum of money into someone else's service for a period of time. You give up all your rights. Jesus gave up all his rights as God and became a human being. He sold himself as a bondservant to the Father. And he was born as a human being. And when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God. And he died a criminal's death on the cross. Who were the two guys that were next to Jesus sharing a cross? Thieves. He shared a criminal's death. This was the creator of the universe. Therefore, everybody say, therefore. therefore. God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and even under the earth. And every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Say this with me. I must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. The way up is the way is, is, is to go low. You want to go high? You got to go low. You want to be great? Serve. Not just when it's convenient. It wasn't, and, not, and it wasn't always easy. Jesus cried in the Garden of Gethsemane. His sweat turned to blood. There was so much pressure. He was feeling the sin of the world. He had the whole world on his shoulders. And he began to sweat drops of blood. And in this agony, knowing what he was, you know, we see the physical agony, which is horrific. The whipping, the scourging, having to carry the cross after being beaten and then crucified and left up there to die. 
But there was also an internal agony of this, the weight of sin of the whole world. That like It's a spiritual thing that we don't, it's not necessarily just perceived with the natural mind, but this was on him. The weight of every atrocity, every, you know, wicked, evil thing that's ever happened on the earth that will ever happen on the earth, he carried on himself. That's overwhelming. And in the midst of that pressure, he said, God, if it be possible, take this cup. It's a recognition of how heavy, how brutal, how it was overwhelming. But he said, nevertheless, not my will. Nevertheless, not my will. Can we say that? No, I mean throughout our lives now. God, not my will. I mean, we kind of say it, but can we mean it? Like, like, can we get up every day and say, God, not my will today. Your will be done. Help me in my decision-making, not my will. God, I really want to go here. It's out of the way to go to Samaria. I'm on my way uptown. It's, on my, it's out of my way to stop in Chelsea. <laughs> There's somebody I want you to speak to in Chelsea. This is what Jesus lived. He was going from one town to another, and his disciples are saying, wait, wait, I, you said we're going here. Yeah, but we must go first through Samaria. Wait, Jesus, Samaria's out of the way, and they're not, they're like half-breeds, and we don't like them. They're not fully Jewish. You know, it's, why do, you know, we shun them. No, I must go to Samaria. It can be, you know, when, when we say this, not my will, but yours be done. It's going to be inconvenient sometimes. Sometimes you're going to go to the cross, right? If you want to be my disciple, pick up your cross. That's death. Anyone who's comes, who wants to come after me, let him deny himself and follow me. Thanks, Will. Good to have your own cheering gallery in the back. <laughs> Humility is the key to greatness. Each of us has a, has, has a desire inside of us for greatness. It's built in us. We're created in the image of God. That's amazing in itself. But there's two kingdoms. There's the kingdom that I will exalt myself I will make myself like the most high. I will sit on the mount, right? And there's the, the other one that comes in to serve. The path to greatness is, is, the, is, is to follow Jesus. Andrew Murray said, When we realize that humility is something infinitely deeper than contrition, it's not just being sorry for what you did. We accept it as our participation in the life of Jesus. We will begin to learn that it's our true nobility and that to prove it in being a servant is the highest fulfillment of our destiny. 
as people created in the image of God. We all want to talk about our destiny in God. Your destiny is the cross. <laughs> Embrace it, and he will highly exalt you. Embrace it. Take up your cross. Deny yourself. Follow him. And he will highly exalt you. You know, he gives grace to the humble, but he resists the proud. I'm telling you, pride is the root of all of our, all of our failures, all of our sin. It's like, I will. It's all the I wills. I will exalt myself. I will do this. I want that. This will make me happy. The, the focus on self will destroy you. It's death. Matthew eleven twenty eight 28, and 29, Jesus said, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. We're all striving, working hard. But where's it getting you? We want to enter into the rest of God. How many want to just have peace? How many, how many don't want to wake up in the morning with that anxiety? You know, that pit that, oh, I got to go to work. Oh, I didn't do this or that. Or the boss is going to be mad. Or my husband, my wife. And, you know, it's like, let's walk in the peace of God. Jesus said, verse 29, take my yoke upon you. And learn from me. The yoke, it's not an egg yolk. <laughs> it's the thing that tethered together, put together two oxen to plow a, you know, whatever they used to plow behind them, right? They were yoked together so that they would work together. Jesus says, take that yoke the yoke that's on Jesus, and then put it over your neck. Take his yoke so that you walk side by side with him. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. A disciple is a student, one who learns from a teacher. Jesus is our ultimate teacher. We want to learn from him. When you look in Philippians and understand that he humbled himself and became obedient. You know, it's interesting. When you study the life of Jesus, he said, I can do nothing of myself. He, wait a second. He was God. Why could he do nothing of himself? Because he became fully man. It says he laid down his privileges as God, and he became fully human. And being fully human, he was fully dependent on his father. So he said, I can do nothing of myself. I can only do what I see my father doing. I only actually say what I hear my father saying. He lived in this place of dependence on the father. You know, in this life, we value our independence. 
I'm going to do this on my own. It's going to be, it's up to me. I remember having conversations with people where I would work and I, you know, share my testimony a little bit with them. And it was like, you know, I just believe in myself. I mean, I'd hear these kind of things, you know, I'm going to make it happen. It's must be nice to have that kind of faith, but I know I have to, whatever is going to be, I'm going to make it happen. I just feel bad for them because it's deception. A life of dependence is a life set free. A life of dependence on God is to walk in freedom. You know, in our Bible reading, I think it was yesterday, you know, Paul said it was him, uh, Silas, and Timothy, and they said they were, um, they had actually given up on their own life. They, they, they felt the sentence of death, and they were about to give up. But it says they learned when they couldn't depend on themselves anymore, they learned just to rely on God. And God delivered them. If Paul, Timothy, and Silas had to learn to simply just rely on God, then you and I have to learn, rely on God. So, you know, when the Bible says, bless those who curse you, and you choose that way, you're choosing God's way. That's, that's a tough order. Bless those who curse you? All right, maybe I just won't say anything. <laughs> Come on, Jesus answered not a word. When they <laughs> but he also said, Father, forgive them, and they don't know what they're doing. When you choose that, you're choosing to humble yourself and say, God, I trust you. I trust you to be my vindicator, my source. I'm relying on you. I'm not relying on what makes sense to me, but I'm relying on you. When we choose this way, we become like Jesus. And that's what we're called to. Put on Christ Jesus. Make no provision for what your flesh wants to do. Put on Christ. And I'm telling you, when we do this, you become Christ-like. And as you become Christ-like, your prayers get much more easily answered because it comes from the place of the heart of God and not out of our selfish desires. I mean, James says, you know, <clears throat> why, why are your prayers not answered? Because sometimes we ask amiss because we want to, consume it on our own fleshly desires. We're not following the pattern of just asking for the heart of God and praying from that place. Anyway, I think we need to explore this idea of humility much deeper and move forward because I really think it's the key and God is looking, you know, he's looking for humble and contrite hearts. You know, a humble and contrite heart, he will not despise. Jesus, you want a picture of humility? Look at Jesus. Though he was God, he thought equality with God was not something to be grasped after or sought or trying to hold on to. Just the opposite of Lucifer, just the opposite of Adam's sin. And he, he lived a life. You know, his one act of righteousness was his life. His life from start to finish, 
was the one act of righteousness, a life lived. And because of his life, because we can't do it, you know, Galatians says, I've been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, but it's not I who live anymore. It's Christ that lives in me. And the, not, the life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God. He, he so loved you guys. This is such an invitation. Can we stand? Can I ask the worship team to come up? He so loves each and every one of you. He couldn't spend eternity without us. You know, we sing the songs, but this is, there's real theology in it. He didn't want heaven without us, so he brought heaven down, meaning Christ who lives in heaven left the throne room and became a man. And he lived a life as an example that a man, a human being, could live. Adam fell short. Christ is the second Adam, the second man incarnate by God alone. Christ was not a descendant of Adam. It's, that's why Mar what was conceived of Mary said the Holy Spirit will overshadow you and the Most High, right, conceive, will conceive in you Emmanuel, God with us. He was not conceived by the will of man or by, you know, the, right, the way all of us were conceived. <laughs> he was conceived by God in the womb of Mary alone. So he was the second creation, second Adam, the second man created by God alone. But he lived a life from start to finish. that was fully submitted, fully surrendered. And that's what he's asking us. Will we fully surrender? You want freedom from fear, freedom from worry? Surrender. You want to know your salvation is assured in heaven? Surrender to Jesus. Thank you, Lord. If there's anyone here today, I started at the beginning, I just felt, felt overwhelmed with the Emmaus Road story of the two disciples trying to figure out what is this all about. We saw him crucified. Some women in our company said they've seen him alive. We don't understand what's happening. God is speaking to you. Don't be slow of heart to believe because Jesus made a way for you. And if there's anyone here that you haven't received Christ as Savior, or you know you just need to surrender, there's been areas of your life like, okay, I'm, I'm with you, Jesus, but I'm, there's certain areas I'm holding back. He doesn't want you to hold back anything. He just wants you to lay it all at his feet. Be a follower. Don't tell Jesus, Jesus, this is what I'm doing. God, bless this. This is a good idea. This is scriptural. I think this is, you're going to like this. Would you bless it? 
That's not a follower. That's, that's leading and asking God's blessing on what you're doing. Say, God, I want to follow you. You lead, I'll follow. Holy Spirit, just come. We hope you enjoyed the message. You can also follow us on Instagram at LifeCenterNYC or YouTube at LifeCenterChurchNYC.